0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Der Shchai Experiment, the show where we try to consider all sides to an argument. I'm Aaron Bishop here with my beautiful wife, Rebecca. Hey. And today we are in Job chapters 32, 33, and 34. We've got three chapters today, and today begins the fun process of trying to dig through Elihu, this fourth friend that appears out of nowhere and begins to just lay it down. He is he is very uh, um, very sure of himself. <laughs> yeah, he's very prolific. He says in the beginning, "I am full of words." That <laughs> is I a will true statement. Say my words. <laughs> it's, yes, he is he is loquacious. But yeah, Elihu, this fourth friend, comes out of nowhere. We're not even sure he is a friend. He's a passerby who's just kind of overheard this exchange between Job and his friends. And after the exchange. He just can't hold it in anymore. He's got to step in, and he has got to make things right.
1: And he's angry. Very angry. He
0: is very angry. He is upset that Job would dare accuse God of doing something like this to him without cause. That is an egregious charge in Elihu's opinion.
1: And he's furious with the friends because they couldn't point out how Job was actually wrong. They just kept saying, Well, I think you're wrong.
0: Well, right. And what we're gonna find out is that the arguments Elihu makes, they're basically restatements the same, of the friends. Yeah, they're arguments. the same arguments. And yet Elihu's like, Well, you couldn't you couldn't make him change his mind. How dare you? You are you are failing God here by not being able to convince Job of his own uh Iniquity of his own unrighteousness. Right. And as we encounter Elihu, you can't help but think we all kind of know someone who's an Elihu, someone who is willing to step into conversations where they're not invited, who is willing to very confidently express their own opinions, to very confidently exert how everyone in the conversation is wrong except for them, and to go on and on about how. Right they are, and all of their justifications for being right:
1: And if we're honest with ourselves, we've all been Elihu at one time or another, that even is, even if we never said it out loud.
0: That is absolutely true. Let's face it, we are all right in our own eyes. A person doesn't believe things that they don't think are right. It's just against human nature. If you believe something, you think it's right. And so when someone says something that contradicts your belief, it's very common to want to step in and correct others for their wrong view. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know for us, we kind of went through that stage back in our Torah terrorist stage, where people who weren't keeping the Torah, well, they just didn't know God. And they needed to know God because otherwise, well, God's not going to love them. and It 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 was was
1: based in fear. It was a lot of fear. It was based in genuine care for these people that we saw as in danger. But But there was also a lot of it was very self-righteous.
0: Yeah, there was a lot of pride attached to it because we now had the truth. We had the inside track. We knew... This thing that the whole world had been deceived into looking away from. And now we were in some ways better than them. And we had to let them know. Mm
1: -hmm. And And it did damage. It
0: did. It did so much damage to our relationships. And that's one of the highlights of this book, I think, is the way that it just shows How this sort of attitude damages relationships. This sort of attitude, it will set your friends against you. It will turn the world against you. And you will be self-righteous and alone. Mm -hmm. Because you're right and they're all wrong. And they're going to hell because of it. Or God doesn't love them because of it.
1: Or just they're wrong. Right. And I can't associate with them or I can't be friends with them.
0: So let's go ahead and read Elihu, but as we read through this, let's make sure that we're not focusing on that other person who's like this, who we know. We can all identify that person. Instead, let's focus on our own tendencies to be like this. Yeah. Because Mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is, we do have these tendencies, and the Book of Job is really good at highlighting those tendencies for us to see. Let's go ahead and read the first three chapters of Elihu's Prosecution.
1: Job chapters 32 through 34 So these three men stopped answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then Elihu, son of Barachel, the Buzite of the clan of Ram, became very angry. He was angry with Job for justifying himself rather than God. He was also angry with his three friends because they had not found an answer and yet had condemned Job. Now Elihu had waited to speak to Job because they were older. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his anger was aroused. Then Elihu, son of Barachel the Buzite, responded and said, I am young in days, and you are old. That is why I was timid, and dared not tell what I know. I thought, let days speak, and many years teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in people, the breath of Shaddai that gives them understanding. It is not only the aged who are wise, or old men who understand justice. Therefore I say, listen to me. I, even I, will explain what I know. Look, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasoning. While you were searching for words, I gave you my full attention. But behold, no one proved Job wrong. None among you answered his statements." Lest you should say, We have found wisdom, let God refute him, not man. Job has not directed his words to me, and I will not respond to him with your arguments. They are dismayed and no longer reply. Words have failed them. Must I wait, since they no longer speak, since they stand there with no reply? I too will answer my part. I too will declare what I know, for I am full of words, and the Spirit within me compels me. Inside I am like wine that has no opening, like new wineskins ready to burst. I must speak that I may find relief. I will open my lips that I may answer. I will show partiality to no one, nor will I flatter anyone, for I do not know how to flatter, else my Maker would quickly carry me away. But now, Job, listen to my words, and give ear to everything I say. See, now I open my mouth." My tongue and my mouth speaks. My words are from my upright heart. My lips speak sincerely what they know. The Ruach of God has made me. The breath of Shaddai gives me life. Answer me if you can. Array yourselves before me. Take your stand. Look, I am the same as you before God. I too am formed from clay. See, no fear of me should terrify you, nor should my presence be heavy on you. Indeed, you have said in my hearing, I heard the sound of the words, I am pure without transgression, I am innocent without iniquity, yet he has found fault with me, he considers me his enemy, he puts my feet in shackles and watches closely all my paths, but in this you are not right. I will answer you, for God is greater than mortal. Why do you contend against him, that he does not answer all his words? Indeed, God speaks once, even twice, yet no one perceives it. In a dream, in the vision of the night when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in bed, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction. In order to turn a man from his conduct and to cover a person's pride, he spares his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Or a person is chastened with pain on his bed, with continual strife in his bones, so that his life loathes bread, and his soul desirable food. His flesh wastes away from sight, and his bones, once unseen, now stick out. His soul draws near to the pit, and his life to the messengers of death. If there is an angel beside him, a messenger, one out of a thousand, to declare to a man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. Let his flesh be restored like a child's. Let him return to the days of his youth. He entreats God and is accepted by him. He sees his face with a shout of joy. He restores to the man his righteousness. He sings to others, saying, I have sinned and perverted what is right, but I did not get what I deserved. He redeemed my soul from going down to the pit, and my life sees the light. Indeed, God does all these things, twice, even three times with a man, to bring his soul back from the pit, that he may be illuminated with the light of life. Pay attention, Job, listen to me. Be silent, and I will speak. If you have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I want to justify you. If not, then listen to me. Be silent, I will teach you wisdom. Then Elihu answered, Hear my words, you wise men, give ear to me, you men of learning, for the ear tests words as the mouth tastes food. Let us choose for ourselves what is right, let us learn together what is good. For Job says, I am righteous, but God has deprived me of justice. Concerning my right should I lie? My wound is incurable, although I am without transgression. What man is like Job who drinks mockery like water, who keeps company with evildoers and walks with wicked men? For he says, It does not profit a man when he makes his delight with God. Therefore listen to me, you men of understanding. Wickedness is far from God, injustice from Shaddai. For he repays a person for what he has done, and brings on the person what he deserves. Truly God does not act wickedly, and Shaddai does not pervert justice. Who appointed him over the earth? Who put him over the whole world? If he were to set his heart on it and gather to himself his ruach and breath, all flesh would perish together, and mankind would return to dust. Now, if you have understanding, hear this. Give ear to the sound of my words. Can someone who hates justice govern? Will you condemn the mighty righteous one? Who says to a king, worthless man, or to nobles, wicked men? Who shows no partiality before princes and does not favor the rich over the poor? For they are all the work of his hands. They die in a moment at midnight. People are shaken and they pass away. The mighty are removed without a hand. For his eyes are on the ways of man. He sees all his steps. There is no gloom and no deep darkness where evildoers can hide themselves, for he does not consider a man further that he should go before God in judgment. He shatters the mighty without inquiry, and sets others in their place. Thus he recognizes their deeds, he overturns them in the night, and they are crushed. He strikes them for their wickedness in a place where people can see, because they turned from following him and have not understood any of his ways. They caused the cry of the poor to come before him, so that he hears the cry of the afflicted. But if he is quiet, who can condemn him? If he hides his face, who can save him? Who can see him? Yet he is over a nation and an individual alike. So the godless men should not rule, nor lay snares for people. Suppose someone says to God, I have borne chastisement, but I will not act wickedly any more. Teach me what I cannot see, for I have done evil. I will not do it again. Should he requite it on your terms because you reject it? But you must choose it and not I. Now declare what you know. Men of understanding, declare. Wise men who hear me say to me, Job speaks without knowledge, and his words lack understanding. Oh, that Job might be tested to the end for answering like wicked men for he adds rebellion to his sin. In our midst, he claps his hands and multiplies his words against God.
0: Okay, let's stop for a minute. Let's pretend we didn't have chapters 1 and 2 of Job. Let's also pretend that we haven't read past this point. How would we react in that case to what Elihu has to say?
1: It would definitely put a different spin on things, but I still think we would see him as very self-righteous, very arrogant even.
0: Well, there's a measure of self-righteousness, but there's also a measure of zealousness.
1: Yeah. And
0: that's a fine line to walk, that that line of of zealous and that line of self-righteous. Yes. And one thing that's really interesting in the Hebrew, the, the word for zeal, That, for example, Pincus, uh, Phineas, had zeal for God when he stabbed Cosby and and her lover in the side of the tabernacle during the incident with Baal Peor, Balaam, Balak, all that in the book Mm -hmm. of Numbers. Mm -hmm. That word that's translated as zeal all throughout the Old Testament is the same Hebrew word as the word for jealous. It's the word for jealousy.
1: Hmm.
0: And jealousy often gets a bad rap in modern America.
1: Yes, it definitely does. We but so it, but misunderstand
0: it, the idea of jealousy.
1: It's conflated with envy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, jealousy is often conflated with envy. I want what you have. And that's not the idea of jealousy at all. In fact, jealousy is the exact opposite of envy.
1: It's, this is mine. It belongs to me. Right. You cannot have it.
0: That's exactly right. Jealousy is, this is mine. It is not yours. You can't have it. And jealousy for God's name is, no, God is right and He is good, and you cannot take that name from Him.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what Elihu and that's is
1: not a bad thing.
0: No, it's not. It's not a bad thing. And what Elihu is doing here is he is filled with jealousy for God's character. He sees God being besmirched. He sees God being belittled. He sees God being described as evil. He sees God being described as unjust Unjust. and unrighteous. Right. And he can't stand it. Yeah. So I
1: understand that.
0: Right. So let's pretend we didn't know what's happening in chapters 1 and 2. And let's pretend that we don't know that God is going to justify Job in the end through his speech. And he's going to call out. Elihu for his
1: Misplaced for his reaction deal.
0: right and let's just consider honestly the words of Elihu i know i if i was just sitting as a fly on the wall observing this entire back and forth conversation this man who'd just been reached the lowest of lows and will not admit to anything wrong i'd be tempted to be like come on dude there's got to be something in your life even if even if you're not being punished for your wrong, you still have some sort of unrighteousness in your life. Just repent Mm -hmm. of it and be done with these friends. You've got to have a thought of lust, a thought of greed, a thought of gluttony, a thought of uh, pride, something. There's got to be something in your heart. You're human. Right. So just admit it and apologize for it and repent of it and move on. If you do that, All of this ends. The friends say, there it is. He was wrong. And God is justified.
1: Because that's what all of them have been trying to do from the beginning. Right.
0: And Job then, yes, he's been humiliated, but he accepts that humility and accepts that maybe he kind of did deserve what happened to him. And as a fly on the wall, as an outside observer who doesn't know this, I I would be tempted to side with the friends. And that's something I've been thinking a lot about is would I be on their side if I didn't know the outside information?
1: Right. But the problem with that whole scenario is that Job was known for his righteousness.
0: Well, right. But well, even people who are known for their righteousness, they got something that they're hiding. Yeah. Nobody's I mean, how that many, good.
1: How many pastors have we seen fall right. in the past five, ten years? Uh fall to
0: various temptations. Various
1: various problems and publicly shamed and brought low. Right. And we don't go Oh, man, I never would have expected it. We go, oh, well, yeah, well, there goes another one. There's there, You know, issue. we don't see them as righteous. We're human. We're flawed. We all have flaws. We all have problems. And when we see a righteous person fall.
0: We identify with it. There's a mixture of sorrow. Yes, uh, for sure. They were supposed sure. to be one of the good ones, and they're not. Right. There's the... The mixture of righteousness or self-righteousness. Mm-hmm. Well, they're getting what they deserved. If they were engaged in that, then they're finally getting what they deserve.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Hooray for justice. There's a measure of disappointment.
1: Yeah. Quite frankly, there's a measure of injustice because the moment any accusation comes out about anyone, they're tried in the court of public opinion. Oh, right.
0: as being guilty. And
1: truth is put on a back burner. Right. Because people, quite frankly... They don't care about truth.
0: Right. The narrative that's being preached in the media tends to rule the day. And even if it comes out later that they weren't guilty, we don't believe that. Because we saw at least 12 different news stories about how they're wrong and how they're guilty. And we should...
1: Well, it's if you've seen a story, especially if they paint a story for you, that's what you hold on to. That's what you remember. Right. Facts, cold, hard facts, your brain just kind of filters those out, but a story, especially an engaging story with with shocking reveals right that's what your brain's gonna hold on to regardless of the truth, so there's injustice there too, and I just see that there's a lot of the elements that we still face today going on in this in these chapters here,
0: right. Yeah, so this is actually something that's kind of close to our own hearts, because there have been times where we haven't had much, where we've gone through very hard and trying circumstances. Yeah, very. And we've had people come in and basically tell us that we're being unrighteous in how we're living our lives. Because, Simply
1: because, because we were poor.
0: This is, yeah, this was the outcome. We didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a nice place to live. We didn't have all the finest foods or the great cars or vacations or anything like that. And frankly, it's because I was spending all my time in what you might call school. It wasn't an official school, but I was spending my time reading, studying, learning the Bible.
1: To put a very fine point on it. You were doing exactly what God specifically called you to do. And people did not want to hear that because for many, many, many reasons, but they did not want to hear that because it didn't look like what they expected.
0: Yeah. It didn't look like what they thought God should do. Or um, even can do. Or could do. Uh, I had a friend, a very close friend, come to me and say, are you sure that you being fed through all of this and not and having clothes through all of this and having a roof over your head, despite the fact that you haven't really done anything to earn a roof over your head, isn't just God's mercy towards you because you are not providing those things for yourself? And it really threw me for a loop because that that question gnawed at me. Hmm.
1: Is
0: this? just god's mercy that we're not completely absolutely destitute right now am i really doing did i hear what god said correctly and you know
1: that yeah that question definitely
0: well you know job has to have been having those same types of thoughts running through his head yeah am i wrong a lot of them we've seen have i sinned is there something going on what is this punishment is is this somehow justified and this is just god's character pouring out on me
1: there's always self-recrimination did i do it right did i hear right did i understand you am i really doing what i'm supposed to be doing right did i sin if i did i can't think of anything what did i do Is there something I can apologize for? Is there something that I can repent from? Is there something that I can change? What did I do wrong? And sometimes it's just sit in it.
0: Right. And that's Job's answer is Job just has to sit in it. He has to allow it to happen. And his friends, they cannot see that. And part of the zeal of Job's friends is because they know their Bible so well. Yeah, these men know what the Bible has to say. Turn to Deuteronomy, turn to Psalms, turn to Jeremiah, turn to just about any book that talks about the punishment of the wicked, and you will find that God punishes the wicked and he upholds the righteous. Uh, it's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the prophets. And these men, they they seem to know that intrinsically in their own understanding of who God is, in their own understanding of his nature and his character. They know these things to be true. And so contradictory information cannot be allowed to have a place.
1: But see, the thing is, God is revealing through this whole process that While he does judge the unrighteous and he does act in righteousness, it's not by human terms. Right. And it doesn't always look like humans want it to. Right. And if it only ever happened where the unrighteous are judged, the righteous get all the stuff. Right then where is the growth periods
0: well that and and what
1: what benefit is there in pain mm -hmm. in sorrow in heartache yeah why would god allow all the things to happen to israel his people right why did he allow abraham to sacrifice his son why command would he to. Co- Why would he command his own son to come and die? None of those make any sense. If the only way to view the world is evil people get punished, good people get all the goods. Right. It doesn't make any sense. And it completely puts the lie to the prosperity gospel.
0: Yeah. And that's what so many people want is they want the prosperity gospel because they want to be We all want to be rewarded for the good things we do.
1: But our reward's not always here on this earth.
0: Right. And Yeshua makes a point of that when he talks about when you do something, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Mm -hmm. Don't do good deeds before men to be praised by them, for you've received your reward. Instead, do it in secret so that you might be rewarded by your Father in heaven. It's so counterintuitive to what we want and expect Of the world. So let's actually go ahead and let's look at what Elihu has to say and let's discuss some of these ideas that he brings forth. So it starts with Job's friends stopped talking. He was righteous in his own eyes, very clear on that. And Elihu was angry because Job had declared himself right and had not declared God right.
1: And then Elihu proceeds to tell. How right and righteous he himself is.
0: Right. He takes an entire chapter to talk about
1: that. Yeah. He just sits there and tells how much he has understanding and how smart he is. And he is going to razzle dazzle them with his speech that he can't wait to tell us.
0: He even goes so far as look, I waited for your words. I was patient, I was humble. I thought you guys were the best. You, you were the wisest. You're the eldest. You're supposed to have all the answers, and you don't. You are all wrong. <laughs> Every single one of you. <laughs> and on both sides of this argument, you're all wrong for various reasons. It's like that old joke, you know? I, I'm, I'm extremely humble, and I'm very proud of that fact.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: the moment you take pride in your humility, you've ceased to be humble. And Elihu here, he's he's taking this huge amount of pride in his own knowledge and righteousness and understanding of who God is and how he operates, while actively demonstrating that he doesn't have understanding and he isn't wise and he doesn't know how God operates.
1: Yeah, he's he is swallowing his entire foot
0: <laughs> well not yet he will he will later have it shoved well, down prim- his throat by he's god he's
1: priming himself to swallow <laughs> his, his foot
0: it goes to show that that moment that you have that absolute surety in yourself in your own ability to know understand that maybe that's the sign you should take a step back and question what you think you know so it reminds me of Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So don't think better of yourself. And interestingly enough, Job and his righteousness is not falling into this trap. in his own surety and insistence that he is righteous and that there's nothing that could account for this t- type of judgment against him. He is right, and he is not thinking highly, more highly of himself than he ought to. But Elihu, on the other hand, who is angry and getting in people's faces and standing up in pride and shouting others down, and has to prove them all wrong, he is falling into this trap.
1: Because Job is righteous. Right. But also... Job isn't spending all this time building himself up. In the last argument that Job makes, he does list things that kind of sound a little bit like bragging, but like we pointed out last week, it was more just, this is what my life was, and contrasting, this is what my life is. It wasn't a, look at me, look at me, look at me. But that is exactly what we see of Elihu.
0: Yeah, Elihu wants to make sure everyone's eyes are upon him. So then in chapter 33, Elihu, he starts off continuing to go in the same vein. My words are from uprightness of my heart and my lips speak knowledge clearly. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. But then he turns to, this is what I know about God and it sounds so much like what well, job's friends have stated before.
1: Yeah, this is where it starts to sound like he is a lawyer giving the final defense of his position. The
0: final prosecution. The, yeah, the final He's prosecution. The prosecutor resting his case. Well, because not yet, he but. starts
1: he starts taking words that Job said and then refuting them.
0: Yeah, he very much is directly addressing Job's own arguments. And he is very much holding up what he sees as God's righteousness and to be fair what he's saying isn't that far off there's so much truth in what he's saying right and yet there's so much misunderstanding of that truth
1: and that's the hardest part of the whole process those who are zealous for god and righteous in their zeal but step over the line into self-righteous it it becomes this just this off By degrees,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to the point where you you know that their end trajectory is wrong, but you have to be very careful in every refutation of anything that they have to say till they get there, because what they're saying in a vacuum without any subcontext around it Isn't seems it right
0: right they've got to be extremely aware. And you have to be willing to allow the possibility that maybe you just don't know, yeah. which Elihu doesn't allow for that possibility. No, not neither at do all. his friends. And where Job is full of doubts, he has no idea what's going on. He just knows that he's righteous and this is happening. But Elihu's, it's incapable for God to do any of these things that Job is accusing him of. It's incapable of God's righteousness to allow him to punish or to hurt someone. Who is so? Who is righteous.
1: And I think it's interesting that Job never assigns reasons why mm. God did these things. And while Job does accuse God of doing, doing unrighteousness, if you will, to a degree,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he does not accuse God of being unrighteous. He says, you've done this to me with no cause. But he doesn't accuse God of... Therefore, you are unrighteous and you are not God. Like you are not good. Mm -hmm. He doesn't go there at all. He stays with these are the facts. I did nothing wrong. I am being attacked. I don't understand this. And I don't know don't know why you're doing this to me, God.
0: Right. I don't know how to connect fact A with fact B. Right. Because my current worldview doesn't allow for that. I just know that they're true. Both propositions are true and there's got to be some something, something that connects these i don't get it whereas none of job's friends especially elihu they don't get it either but they don't <laughs> know that job's correct in his own right. assertion they don't know that fact a is true if fact b is true then ipso facto fact a has to be wrong
1: right
0: that's just that's all there is to it it's logical it's it's reasonable it's it's what the bible says it's what we know and we can't allow for anything new, right? even a revelation from God, to
1: change that. Yeah, so Elihu does not really make any new claims whatsoever. Everything he says is basically what the argument has been the whole time.
0: Yeah, and his personal attacks on Job, he really gets personal. For example, chapter 34, verse 5. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my right. Uh, Would I lie concerning my right? But my wound is incurable without transgression. What man is like Job who drinks mocking like water? Uh, he's, He's calling Job a mocker who goes in company with the workers of wickedness and walks with men of wrongness. For he has said it does not profit a man that he takes delight in God.
1: Well, in Job's current position... It isn't profiting him.
0: Right. And that's actually a correct statement if you look at profits only as material gain. And that's what these men are doing is material gain. Therefore, listen to me because I'm right. Mm -hmm. And he returns to that over and over and over again. The truth is that God does not do wrong. The, The Almighty does not twist justice.
1: I don't think that we've ever seen Job accuse God of perverting justice, though.
0: He has... Stated that what he is experiencing from God is not a matter of justice, I
1: believe. So it's not a matter of justice, which means God isn't perverting justice. This is something outside of justice.
0: And those are so close to each other. And it's so easy to confuse those. Right. It certainly uh, especially is. Especially when we put God in boxes. And that's that's one of the greatest things that Elihu is doing here. As he has built this systematic theology, he has stuck God in this box, and God dare not step out of this box.
1: God can't step out of this box. Right. It's
0: impossible for him because this is him, and this is his character, and he does not deviate from what I have assigned as his character qualities. Right. And that can be dangerous,
1: extremely extremely dangerous dangerous, as we see nothing else it can blind you
0: right and if this is all god can ever be then this is all god will ever be and if your reality then somehow demonstrates something different about god about the way he acts about the way he treats you
1: then you are in very grave danger of throwing god away
0: right of concluding that he is not God.
1: And we've seen that happen.
0: We have witnessed that in the lives of others um, where they had this box. God dare not step out of it. What's this? God has stepped out of it in my life. My life is not reflecting what I expected to be of God and the way he acts. Well, then God's not true or correct, and therefore God doesn't exist.
1: Legitimately, we were there for a while. We were.
0: We went through that process ourselves. That was such a difficult time.
1: That was a terribly difficult time.
0: Because we we did know who God was. We knew how God acted. We'd been brought up in the church. We'd been brought up in doctrine. We'd been brought up in our tradition. And our reality fell completely apart completely
1: did not show what we expected it to
0: right and it took years of really deep study and contemplation and prayer and to get back God, to a show point us of, what in right, the world to get back yeah. to that point of faith and yet we, we did yeah, it doesn't always faithful. it doesn't always end up that way Um, and that's one of the things that, well, I have to recommend for anyone who does think they know God is if you come to a place in your life where God does not appear to be who you think he should be and you're challenged to say, well, because he doesn't conform to my ideas of what God is and who God is, then God must not exist
1: or God must not be good. or
0: God must not be good or God must not be powerful or whatever the conclusion is. Take a step back and say, "Okay, God, if you are these things, show me how to reconcile it." Right. And that—that's what Job continually says: "Is God, come down, answer me, talk to me, help me make mm-hmm. sense of this. I need to make sense of this because it doesn't make sense right now. I'm not rejecting you. I'm not rejecting your character. I am." rejecting my own understanding of who you are right now and mm-hmm. i need to know you
1: and that's what james means when he says if any man lacks wisdom let him ask of god who right gives to all men liberally
0: right yeah we actually uh, covered that verse a couple weeks ago when we were talking about job's long diatribe on wisdom that god does give wisdom when you lack the wisdom and job's own contemplation on wisdom is exactly as you said it's exactly what james is talking about right he doesn't have the wisdom to connect a and b and all his friends have connected a and b together in the wrong way and that way requires that Job be guilty and so yeah uh ellie who has uh chapter 34 finishes out again he continues on with the qualities of God, God is great. God acts these ways. He, he continues to build that box that he's placed God in. And when we get to it in a couple of weeks, when God answers, his basic answer is going to be, how dare you put me in a box? And he's going to really lay it down that you you don't understand me because I am not human. I am not you.
1: Right.
0: That can be very hard to reconcile. And there's a good picture of it in something I've been reading recently. I have a soft spot for sci-fi in my reading repertoire. Recently I find that I like it way better than I like fantasy, uh simply because in fantasy books you generally are dealing with a whole lot of gods yeah. whereas in sci-fi you're dealing with no belief in god. And mm. I find it easier to stomach the the people's lack of faith in god than I do their acceptance of a thousand gods. Hmm. That's just my own personal experience. So I tend towards sci-fi when I read books and a series I've been reading recently. It spans a couple hundred years of time where they're trying to prepare for this alien invasion. They know it's coming 400 years in the future and they get 200 years in the future and they've built hundreds and thousands of spaceships and lasers and space drives that don't require fuel. And they've increased their technology so greatly. And they think they know this enemy, and they think that their overwhelming might and power is going to defeat it when it shows up. And the first probe from the alien force arrives, and they go out, and they're so confident because it's so beautiful. It just screams beauty it's a metallic teardrop shape that just looks so gorgeous and Mm -hmm. everybody's heart just kind of melts these creatures they know beauty and beauty is equated to good and so this is a gift of peace that they're bringing because they see our great might that's gathered here and that teardrop probe proceeds to destroy the entire fleet (laughs) that single probe Because they did not know their enemy. They thought they knew it because they were thinking of their enemy on their own terms. Right. And the enemy that they're facing is so far beyond them, technologically speaking. And we see the same thing here in Elihu's speech and in throughout the book of Job. People approach God with human understanding. We think we know him because we know the metaphors that he steeps his own character in in our world
1: because we don't have any capacity right to think of him as he is
0: or to think beyond what we have experienced right
1: it's impossible for our brains to do that right which is why he steeps himself in those metaphors so that we have some some anchor to 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 hold on to
0: right and and One of the things I love about fiction is it does contain very deep truths in story form, Mm -hmm. and that's such a deep truth in this story that we, as people, we can think we're great and mighty, that we have it all figured out, that we know who this other entity is and how they're going to act based on the ways that they presented themselves in the past, and be so completely wrong about it when we come face to face with them. And Job here, his friends, they're. Dealing with that very thing They have conceptualized God In human terms of justice They've conceptualized God In human terms of righteousness They've conceptualized God In human terms of kingship and sovereignty And when he appears In their face And acts in their lives It destroys them Because it doesn't look like What they knew To be true about him
1: And we see that exact same thing in the New Testament Mm -hmm. with the entire Sanhedrin.
0: Everyone who was stacked against Yeshua.
1: Was stacked against Yeshua and all of his followers. Right. and Because he can't look like that. He
0: can't come from Nazareth. He can't be a simple preacher. He's got to be a general. He's got to be a warrior. He's got to free us from Rome. He's got to do these things. And he didn't.
1: And he didn't.
0: And that is the danger of building boxes around God. So as you go through life, as you seek life, be very careful about building boxes, especially when it comes to God. We can describe his character. We can describe his qualities. We can describe who he is. But we cannot shove him in those boxes and say that he cannot move outside of those. Because he is king. He is the creator the alpha and the omega so far beyond our very conceptions of what is possible we cannot conceptualize who he is or what motivates his decisions or how he acts so as you seek life don't build boxes but do continue to seek life
1: in all that you do
0: shalom Shalom. Thank you for tuning in to Deresh Chai. If this content has blessed you and you would like more, please consider subscribing, liking, commenting, and sharing with others. To find out more about what we do and to support this ministry, head over to seeklifesc.com. That's seeklifesc.com. We'll see you again next time as we Deresh Chai, as we
1: seek life. Shalom.